in the half-life of information, it's getting shorter and shorter. Even I read recently that somebody graduating today um, and going out into the workforce, they could have upwards of eight to 10 different careers just because the world is changing so rapidly. Welcome to Beyond Unstoppable, the podcast that explores the intersection of biology, psychology, and technology. Here is your host, Ben Angel. Today, we're fortunate to have Jim Quick, renowned brain coach and author of the new book, Limitless, Upgrade Your Brain and Learn Anything Faster and Unlock Your Exceptional Life. In this episode, Jim shares his personal perspective on artificial intelligence and its potential to enhance human learning while touching on the challenges of keeping up with the rapid pace of technology. We explore the impact of AI on information overload and the need for upgrading our brains to handle its powerful influence. Jim goes further to discuss how AI can augment human abilities, optimize comprehension and improve memory retention, plus much, much more. And if you like what you hear, please give us a rating and review. Your support means the world to us and helps us reach more listeners who are ready to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Ben Angel's new book, The Wolf is at the Door, How to Survive and Thrive in an AI-Driven World. Presented by Entrepreneur. Get an exclusive sneak peek and pre-order at thewolfbookhub.com. So we've always been very pro-technology. I believe we live in an age of autonomous electric cars, spaceships going to Mars, uh, often our vehicle of choice when it comes to learning, which is uh, my specialty, is often more of a horse and buggy. And so using technology to enhance AI is more augmented intelligence. That's kind of um, the way that I approach AI, where I'm thinking about how does AI enhance HI, human intelligence. We recently, I mentioned to you before we started recording, brought on a chief AI officer and at different parts of the company integrating AI so we could better uh, support our mission, which is building better, brighter brains. You know, our mission is really no brain left behind. And so uh, technology for me is not necessarily good or bad. It's just really how it's, we choose to utilize it. Fire is a form of technology and fire could be used to uh, cook your food. Uh, it could also be used to burn down your home. It's just really how that technology and that tool is applied. For us, we're always thinking about learning when we talk about brain optimization and learning and how do we use AI to enhance human learning. And uh, obviously, there's an immense amount of potential there. Yeah. What's fascinating is I've been trying to find mental frameworks around artificial intelligence to help people get a grasp around it. So for you, it's more pulling from the past and potentially even more philosophical approaches. Yeah. I mean, I think everything comes down to our mindset in terms of the set of assumptions and attitudes we have about something. So we help people to improve their memory, improve their focus, uh, their creativity, their reading speed and comprehension. For me, I'm thinking about, uh, mindset as the set of assumptions and attitudes we have. So if somebody, let's say I teach someone a method on how to remember names and faces, and they have the method and the motivation, but their mindset is, oh, I'm just too old, or I'm not smart enough, then that's going to affect whether or not they apply the methods or to the degree of success they're going to have with those methods. I believe in our brain is kind of like a supercomputer of sorts. 
And uh, our thoughts and our beliefs are the program that will run. So if we tell ourselves that AI is bad or it's, you know, it's threatening, then we're going to have a certain lens of looking through the world. Just like if people believe they can't remember names and that's the program your brain will run. And so you're probably not going to remember the name of the next person you meet because you program a supercomputer not to. And so I think a lot with AI, just like if people have a mindset about money, if they think money is the root of all evil, uh, money doesn't grow on trees, they're probably going to be a little bit stuck, even if they know what methods or strategies, or even if they have access to tools and resources, they're kind of setting that internal thermostat as somehow kind of limiting. We talk about becoming limitless and limitless is not about being perfect. It's about advancing and progressing beyond what we currently believe is possible. And AI is certainly a tool that could help us do exactly that. What I've noticed in the past, maybe eight months since researching this topic, do you think learning could potentially become harder due to the rate of change that we're experiencing? For me, I've written 70,000 word books in three, four months. I generally do them very quickly. What I've found challenging about this is the rate at which it's pacing. There's something terrifying or something amazing that pops up every single day. (laughs) Yeah, you kind of hear this. We all kind of grew up on this phrase, you have to go where the puck is going right? You skate where the puck is is going, not where it is. And with AI, it kind of seems like the puck is teleporting everywhere. (laughs) And yeah, it certainly can be frustrating and it's creating, even adding more. I I talk about in Limitless, uh, some of these phenomenons, the four horsemen of the mental apocalypse, if you will, not caused by technology, but certainly it's amplified by technology. Things like digital distraction, how do you maintain your focus in a world full of rings and pings and dings, app notifications, social media alerts, and AI could, if it's not harnessed, uh, could be a lot of shiny objects and reinforce our distraction. The one that's interesting to me in this conversation is what I call digital deluge, which is this overwhelm that people are feeling with information. Even before AI really started, really was prevalent in our society, people are already overloaded. feels like, as you mentioned, you're drowning in information. It's like taking a sip of water out of a fire hose. And now with AI, the amount of information is doubling at dizzying speeds. But how we learn that information, how we read it, how we remember it hasn't changed a whole lot. So that growing gap creates an, an undue amount of stress, information anxiety, and it affects our, our health even, higher blood pressure, compression of leisure time, when you're overloaded, it affects your, uh, it mitigates your sleep and, and so much more that affects your peace of mind, your performance, your productivity, and certainly your profitability also as well. The approach we take is just like the Entrepreneur Magazine that came out a couple years ago, it says upgrade your brain. If people are watching this on video with a silly guy on the cover holding a skull, but um, I feel like more and more we have to upgrade our brain um, to be able to handle the, the immense amount of distraction and overload that AI is uh, causing and presenting to us. And we hear about technology, we upgrade our phones, we upgrade our computers, we upgrade our apps. But when's the last time we took time to upgrade the most important technology that has created all other technology, including AI, which is the human mind? I love that you actually brought that up because the deeper I dove into the research, I realized the more technology is upgrading, the more our brains seem to be downgrading. 
especially yeah. after being hit with a pandemic. Yeah, the two other horsemen besides digital distraction and digital deluge, one of them is digital dementia, which is a term in, in healthcare that refers to our high reliance on technology doing the work for us. So our brain, which is, it's an organ, but it acts more like a muscle. It's like use it or lose it. I mean, how many phone numbers did you know growing up? Probably most of them, right? You would remember most of them. And how many phone numbers currently do you know today? And most people could count on one hand how many phone numbers they can remember currently. They could be texting or calling somebody every single day, a friend or family member, a team member. But if they don't have their phones with them or for some reason they lost battery life, then, then they can't remember. And not that I want to memorize 500 phone numbers, but it should be concerning we've lost the ability to remember one or a PIN number or a passcode or a seed phrase or something, a conversation that we had. And so that's digital dementia. And the last horseman, uh, which is interesting in the context of AI, is uh, what I call digital deduction. And that is not just where we're outsourcing our memories to a third-party device. It's that third-party device is doing the thinking for us with, let's say, algorithms even simple ideas, it takes it getting from here to there. We use uh, GPS, but we don't have to develop the visual spatial intelligence like we used to when we had to read a map or just kind of looking in our environments and kind of orient ourselves uh, and have situational awareness. And so it tells us when it's time to eat, what it recommends things, uh, their algorithms and social media, whatever you engage with, they show you more of, and you kind of, you don't always see the other perspectives or points of views. So again, I love technology when it when it's utilized for empowering us and educating us. But if it's a default and we're relying on it, it's kind of like um like the physicality. If you lived on the third floor, your office is on the third floor and you took the lift or the elevator every single time, your body wouldn't get that workout. Or if you relied on taking an Uber five blocks to go to the bank when you could have walked it, where there's a physical toll and there's a, a form of atrophy. Like if I put my arm in a sling for a year, it wouldn't grow stronger. It wouldn't even stay the same. It, it would grow weaker, right? And I feel like our mental muscles could grow weaker if we depend on it too much. Uh, all, all forms of technology, whether it's an elevator, whether it's a car, whether it's uh, your smart device or, or even AI, my question is, how do we utilize AI again to enhance our HI, our human intelligence? So now we coach, um, we create programs now to help people integrate AI with their personalized learning, to help them become better readers, to help them to uh, be able to remember things better that they need for their schoolwork or for their uh, career. Do you think our brains are still atrophied after the pandemic? One thing I'm noticing with a lot of 20-year-olds around where I live here in Florida is that their inability to focus is astounding to me. I mean, I, I grew up in the 90s. We didn't have smartphones. I'm going to make myself sound old now. But <laughs> I am so relieved that I didn't grow up with that because I have a recollection of what it feels like to sustain focus without distraction. Yeah. What are we meant to do with this generation that is drinking from a fire hose and that fire hose is about to become a tsunami? Yes. Yeah. And that's really a magic question. It's very, very timely. 
and uh, and timeless because all these issues of deluge, distraction, digital dementia, digital deduction is just going to grow worse, you know, as technology progresses and starts almost running our, our different aspects of our lives. So for me, technology is a tool for us to use, but if, if we're just picking up our devices all the time, just out of habit or boredom, then the technology uses us and then we become the tool. And that's not the goal. So our message has always been about agency. It's about uh, sovereignty, about reminding everybody that they are personally responsible for their lives. And little things can make a big difference. There's a quote in my book, Limitless, uh, which we recently updated for a post-pandemic world. And we have this whole chapter on AI dealing with this and the science and momentum and how AI could help create momentum in your learning and also in your life. But the quote is, life uh, is the letter C between the letter B and D. Life is C between B and D. And B stands for birth, D stands for death, life C, choice. Our, our lives are the sum total of all the choices we've made up to this point in time. What are we going to eat? What are we going to feed our mind? Who are we going to spend time with? Where are we going to live? What are we going to do as a career? All those things. And those little things add up to, to big things. And I truly believe when it comes to choice that these difficult times they can distract us. These difficult times can diminish us or these difficult times they could develop us. We ultimately decide. And I really think it starts with not, not so much time management. Certainly AI, we're integrating a different roles in our company for everything from customer experience uh, to creative, to looking at everything through the lens of education. How do we also at the same time not let our, our brains go uh, Lacks because you always want to be flexing those mental muscles. Kids today, uh, or this generation that grew up, you know, I'm 50 years old, so I, I remember what it was like to not have the internet, <laughs> yeah. uh, not having a phone and, until later in life. And I cherish it, um, certainly. When I see children, and I teach at a lot of schools, and they have all these devices, and they grow up with joysticks, and they grow up swiping. The human brain hasn't evolved a whole lot over the past couple hundred years or even a couple of thousands or tens of thousands or a hundred thousand years, the organ is pretty much the same, but the stimulus is certainly changed. And when you're looking at your phone, let's say first thing in the morning, I have a video of as millions of views of just saying, don't touch your phone the first half an hour of the day, because it can rewire your brain for distraction. It can rewire your brain for reaction. But you're scrolling through and this generation that grows up on it, it's tough because there's so much context switching. If you have access to the world's information, we have more information in our pocket than even President Clinton had when he was in office. How do you reconcile that? You know, my heart goes to teachers. My mother became a school teacher to help me with my learning difficulties that I had when I had a traumatic brain injury when I was a child. And it's tough. How do you manage a class when these kids are used to information flying at them from every single direction and they're swiping and they have all this access and they have all these shiny objects right in their pocket. And so it's certainly a challenge. And I really do believe it starts with ownership, having this, as Jocko Willings talked about, this extreme ownership about you are the pilot of your life. You're not the passenger. You're the pilot of your mind. 
you're not the passenger and it doesn't, we don't have to be victims of this. We can control the controllables, which happen to be our mindset around things, our motivation around things and the methods that we choose to use and also incorporating these technologies into our life. And at the same time, while there's technologies, we could still go to the gym. Right now, nobody probably who's listening to this right now, my fellow entrepreneurs, you're not probably paid like you were a couple hundred years ago. People were paid for their brute strength. Today, it's you're compensated for your brain strength. It's not your muscle power that's as important as your mind power. And so I, I feel like every day we have to be developing our mind and our muscles to be the best version of ourselves so we could not only survive in these times, but really start to thrive. In some respect, do you think that we're competing against something that we can't keep up with, considering AI is adaptive, it's awake 24-7, it's continuously learning and applying? Do you think there's an aspect that we need to maybe reconcile with and just recognize that, okay, it is impossible to keep up with this thing, I'm going to have to pivot somewhere else? I think it, having sensory acuity and situational awareness uh, moment by moment, day by day is important as new technologies emerge. You think about the technologies we currently use, whether it's uh, email or Slack or the internet, when it comes to information, we choose to use it because it makes our life more convenient. My goal is just while technology is convenient, it's convenient to take an Uber to go five blocks, but we don't want it to be crippling. And so for me, I haven't given up on human beings. I feel like AI could help us to, to be more curious. Uh, it enhances our, not only our curiosity, but also our creativity. Um, I still like to write and do my own presentations, but AI can be a wonderful resource to help structure ideas, to help you to do uh, research. But I also still employ our speed reading skills, our, our memory skills, our focus skills, because I feel like it could give us an edge. And I don't think AI is going to so much, and we've heard this a lot, so I'm, it's not original thinking, but it's worth mentioning. I don't think AI is necessarily going to replace human beings, but people who use AI, obviously, that versus people who don't have a huge advantage and access to an incredible superpower. So it's pretty inevitable. It's, it's out of the box. It's not going back inside the box and it's constantly going to evolve as technology does. It's going to be faster and more more encompassing, uh, more, more accurate. And I think we have so much latent potential in, in the human brain. When we're thinking about these 86 billion brain cells, each these neurons, each with potentially thousands of dendrites and synaptic connections, there, there are more connections that we can make with our brain than there are stars in the universe. And so while we can acknowledge that AI is here and it will constantly evolve, I also believe that we have so much potential within us that could also evolve. And AI could be supportive of that also as well. One thing I've noticed with artificial intelligence is, in essence, is mimicking human intuition. Human intuition is, you'll be able to explain more than more on this than I can, but is essentially pattern recognition. Yeah. So AI collects all of this data, looks at the patterns, and then makes the predictions on what text to come up next. Do you think we're lacking in human intuition right now because we are so distracted? And 
is intuition a key part in this rapid learning process to make those connections and to have those moments of illumination where it kind of clicks and falls into place? Before we continue, Beyond Unstoppable is brought to you by Ben Angel's new book, The Wolf is at the Door, How to Survive and Thrive in an AI-Driven World. Get your exclusive sneak peek and pre-order at thewolfbookhub.com. Now, back to the show. Yeah, we talk in our programs online and we have students in every country in the world. So we get a lot of feedback. I mean, pattern recognition is core for genius. I mean, genius really is all about pattern recognition. If somebody's a genius in in wealth, they've amassed an enormous amount of wealth. They'd see things that patterns that other people don't see. If somebody is extremely healthy or they have great relationships, they're consciously or unconsciously uh, picking up on patterns and they're acting on those patterns also as well. I also think we could generate these patterns with the help also of AI when we're doing our research to be able to personalize, let's say our reading, our memory, our focus. But um, genius leaves clues. And so certainly pattern recognition is a big part of that. That's one of the reasons why I think everybody should be reading every single day. Because if somebody has decades of experience like you do, and you put that knowledge and experience and wisdom into a book, which you've done, and somebody can sit down and read that book in a few days, then they could download decades of insights in a matter of days. And I also think reading is so important, not only for the knowledge and wisdom uh, that we gleam, but it's also a great form of mental exercise. Reading is to your mind what exercise is to your body. But utilizing AI to help sort for patterns in trends, uh, in all the research that's out there, I don't personally want to spend an enormous amount of time reading, even though I do a lot of it, all the white papers on, on neuroscience and, and psychology and all these studies. And I try to take those that uh, neuroscience approach to education and accelerated learning and brain optimization. And it could save me a lot of time and that time can be spent in other creative endeavors also as well. I, I really do believe the future belongs to the creators. And while we're concerned that our jobs are being outsourced or they're being automated, and obviously AI has a huge presence in, in that and contributes to that also as well, that we could see what we're good at, what makes the things that make us innately human and see how technology in all its forms, including AI, could help in, enhance the, our own humanity. How do we put a learning framework around something that is moving at the pace <laughs> that it is? Yeah, I mean, Traditionally, even when we do a, a reading program and we have students, we will, at a base, triple their reading speed with far better comprehension, focus, retention. So I have a set of schema or experiences that says that we're greatly underutilizing uh, that kind of potential. That being said, utilizing AI for, let's say, reading, because my functional approach towards AI is really around how do you use it to enhance your own empowerment and uh, be more empowered and be more educated. So for example, for reading, AI has incredible power to personalize your reading experience, as an example. With AI, it's possible to have, um, I don't know, things like smart recommendation systems that take into account your specific interests, your uh, reading habits. It could take into account your skill level to suggest books that are most relevant, engaging to you. And this ensures that you're not just reading more, but reading what truly, truly matters for you. AI could also help to optimize your reading speed and reading comprehension. We have a quick bot, if you will. It's kind of like uh, an AI 
version of myself where our students could ask the AI questions and the AI has been primed with all our course materials and hundreds of podcast interviews, the research, our books, everything. So it, it comes up with answers that are absolutely remarkable. So we utilize that in our memory programs and our focus programs and our reading. But AI, we could analyze your reading speed with AI. You could analyze your comprehension levels. You could adapt reading material for your specific needs. So for instance, uh, if you're a fast reader, but you struggle with retention, AI can adjust the text to include more recall and comprehension exercises. So you could become a, a better reader with AI. It could help you do all that. Imagine having an AI reading uh, bot like we have that identifies your strengths or weaknesses, provides constructive feedback, uh, sets personalized goals for you. We could point out patterns. You're talking about pattern recognitions that we might not notice as we're reading, like the frequency of misunderstood words or concepts uh, and suggest targeted exercises to be able to overcome those problems and those challenges. When it comes to our retention of things, AI is a complete game changer. AI could help create smart summaries of books. The other day, uh, one of my podcast guests, uh, they said they shipped out a book, but I didn't get it in time to read. And I, oh, I like to read all the books <laughs> before I, I get it, but it's able to give me a, a summary of the book that I could read, in, in, especially because I read fa pretty fast yeah. <laughs> you know, in minutes. It could highlight key points of a book. It could present questions that are thoughtful that haven't been asked of this author before. Um, it could give me concepts to, re to review, and it could give me space repetition and present this information and take all the principles that we teach, interval training, space review, um, retrieval practice. AI can remind you to revisit these concepts at optimal intervals, which could greatly improve your own uh, long-term memory of the material to more quickly become an expert. And then while AI could be a very powerful tool and we use it in so many different ways, it's just that. I just want to remind people it, it is a tool. Um, it's a very powerful tool. It could provide personal recommendations, targeted feedback, all the stuff we talk about, smart summaries. But the act of reading, the joy of immersing yourself in content, information, in a book, the satisfaction that comes from understanding a complex concept. You could take a concept like uh, neurogenesis or neuroplasticity and you could feed it into AI and say, explain this to me as if I'm eight years old. And it can greatly accelerate our learning and enhance our own human experience. I got to say, it is phenomenal for legal contracts. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, law lawyers, uh, I mean, you're going to see a lot of application and we have a lot of uh, attorneys as clients and medical doctors and financial advisors. I mean, it's disrupting every industry for sure. Yeah. I've got to say, we've already partially replaced an attorney partially replaced even a veterinarian. Yep. And what's fascinating is that uh, rescue dog Mitch, who was having digestive issues, we'd spent over $1,000 on different vets, couldn't work it out. I took the blood work and put it into the AI to create a hypothetical scenario, and it literally solved the issue. And what I found both exciting and shocking at the same time is that no industry is untouched yeah for me it's looking at the veterinarians that they didn't necessarily have the same pattern recognition that the ai did 
Yeah. Who has the time to read all the research, the latest mm-hmm. research and the half-life information? It's getting shorter and shorter. Even I read recently that somebody graduating today um, and going out into the workforce, they could have upwards of eight to 10 different careers just because the world is changing so rapidly, not jobs, but different careers. And so just like you mentioned, AI's effect on money, on medicine, but I think the goal here is not to rely on AI, but to use it as an augmentation tool. That's why I feel like it augments us to expand our brain's existing power and potential. How do we upgrade our brain to manage this change? Um, obviously, during the pandemic, we saw a lot of individuals struggling with either depression or lack of focus. They were completely inundated with information, but effectively a lot of fast-moving change. Mm -hmm. How do we, I guess, upgrade our brain and maybe even still undo some of the damage that we were still in the shadows of? Yeah, we've done multiple podcast episodes on... uh, COVID brain, people struggling with after the pandemic with brain fog, a compromised memory with uh, losing various senses. But the recommendations, and I'm not a medical doctor, but we've had a lot of medical doctors and PhDs on our show. Um, you know, I, I look at it as two different pieces. There's the hardware and there's the software, meaning software is the things we teach. This is how you read faster. This is how you understand more of what you're reading. This is how you retain what you read. This is how you focus better. This is how you learn languages. This is a faster uh, way to memorize people's names or give a speech without notes. Um, That's the software. And so we have that content. And 95% of what we publish is free. And you just have to look on YouTube or podcasts. And I think that's wonderful right now that we have unfeathered access to the wisdom of the world. But then also you have to also take into account besides the software is the hardware. And that's really brain optimization. And so one of the ways to upgrade your brain is really taking care of that hardware. You know, it's our brain is, they say its potential is, uh, and its performance, about a third of it is predetermined by genetics, biology but two thirds is in our direct control with our lifestyle. And while our work Limitless is endorsed by the founding director of the Cleveland Clinic Center for Brain Health, by the top Alzheimer's research, uh, Dr. Rudy Tanzi out of Harvard University, we know that about one third is about genetic and biological, but two thirds is in our control. And there are 10 factors that really move the needle when it comes to the hardware of our brain to have a limitless brain. And in no particular order, I could go through them very fast. And they're pretty common sense, but they're not always common practice. Mm. And so AI is not going to help a whole lot if you're just sleep deprived and your focus is everywhere. You have to be in a good state, a learning state. And so those 10 things really quickly are, um, and people could take notes. We could turn this into a little masterclass. Mm. What I would suggest is people just rate themselves on a scale of zero to 10 is how much energy and effort and time and tension are you putting towards these areas? Uh, good brain diet. Let's start there. There, there are a whole area of science. Uh, we have a whole two chapters of the book dedicated to neuronutrition, in that your brain is uh, only 2% of your body mass, but it requires 20% of the nutrients. Um, and so your brain needs certain nutrients that are critical uh, for optimal performance. And there are certain foods that are dense in those neuroprotective substances. So you would say things like avocados and blueberries. Uh, I like to call them brain berries. Broccoli is good for the brain. Um, 
olive oil. If your diet allows eggs, the choline in eggs is good for cognitive health and performance. Green leafy vegetables like kale and spinach. Uh, if your diet allows also um, wild salmon and sardines, our brain is mostly fat and getting those omega-3s is very important for brain function and brain health. Uh, things like uh, turmeric with the curcumin helps to lower inflammation, which could cause issues in the brain. Um, walnuts are great brain snack and high in vitamin E, very neuroprotective. Dark chocolate is good for the brain. And so there are foods we can incorporate because on the other side, if you're eating a lot of processed, refined foods, high in sugar, our brains aren't going to be optimized to be able to handle all of the fast-paced information and the influx that comes from technology. Second thing I would say is just controlling our inner thoughts, killing ants, as Dr. Daniel Amen, the brain doctor, talks about. Ant stands for automatic negative thoughts. That we talked about this. Your brain is like a supercomputer, and your self-talk is the program it'll run. So if you tell yourself you're not good at AI or not good at remembering names, you probably won't remember the name of the next person you meet because you program a supercomputer not to. At a lot of events, um, I'll do demonstrations where I'll memorize. 50 people's names in an audience or hundred random words or hundred random numbers. But I tell people I don't do this to impress you. I do this to express to you what's possible because the truth is everybody here could do that regardless of your age or background, your career, education level, financial situation, gender, history, IQ, we all could do that. We're just weren't taught. And so our goal is to fill in those learning gaps. But a lot at these events, people will often come to me and say, Jim, I'm just too old. I have a horrible memory and I can't handle AI, whatever. They'll say, and I always say, stop. If you fight for your limitations, you get to keep them. So many people are used to kind of fighting for what they can't do, and that becomes part of their identity. And so even something, adding a simple word like yet at the end of a sentence, if you find yourself saying something disempowering, like I can't, I just can't understand AI. And then you just add like a little word like yet at the end, because it opens up the possibility and the potential. Uh, a third thing I would recommend everybody here is, is exercise. I mentioned it a couple of times, but as your body moves, your brain grooves. So if you're downloading all this information, it actually helps you to learn this information if you're moving your body. If you're on a treadmill, if you're doing a brisk walk, um, you're using some kind of AI, some kind of audio where they're speaking to you, you can actually understand it and retain it better. Because when you move your body, you create brain-derived neurotropic factors, BDNF, which is like fertilizer for neuroplasticity. And neuroplasticity is this phenomenon neurological phenomenon where our brain has this remarkable ability uh, to adapt and change depending on the stimulus we give it, just like uh, when you work out. You give it some novelty, you give it some nutrition, and then it could grow. Same thing with our mental muscles. And so I don't just mean doing CrossFit three times a week or Pilates a couple of times, but I mean like throughout the day, just moving our body, uh, taking little brain breaks because AI can be very overwhelming. Looking at screens, you know, our visual health, visual fatigue can lead to mental fatigue. So taking a break every 30 or 45 minutes to just go for a five minute walk, get some fresh air, clean out the cobwebs, come back refreshed, hydrate yourself because just staying hydrated will boost your reaction time, your thinking speed upwards of 30%. And that's a huge lift. It makes things so much easier. Uh, the fourth area, which we dedicated a whole chapter on, is uh, neuronutrition, which are supplements, nootropics, uh, certain supplements. And again, talk to your functional medicine doctor, have a nutrient profile done. But if you're lacking even th simple things like omega-3s, I mentioned, your B vitamins, which are your brain vitamins, if you're low in vitamin D, it, it could definitely compromise our ability to think, to focus, to be able to remember. 
So we put some of my favorite nootropics in there to help you get a little bit of an edge to catch up, keep up, and also get ahead while we're working. Um, Number five is a positive peer group. And we know this, that it's not just your neurological networks, it's your social networks, because who you spend time with is who we become. So are you spending time with people that are educating you, that are challenging you, communities that people that have really obsessed about a certain subject like AI? Because we have something in our nervous system called mirror neurons, we're imitating, just like a mirror imitates you, we're constantly imitating the people around us. So we started adopting the words, the actions, the thoughts, the character, the habits of the people we spend the most time with. They say we're the average of the five people we spend the most time with. But if you want to upgrade your brain in a certain area, let's say artificial intelligence, are we in communities where they're having those thoughtful conversations? And and are you part of that discussion, uh, learning and contributing? So zero to 10 uh, positive peer group is so very important because it often takes a village because learning is not always solo, it's social getting feedback, having accountability. We all need people to encourage us, to cheerlead for us. Six is a big one, a clean environment, meaning two different areas. The air we breathe is so very important, but lots of times we've done multiple podcasts about air quality and maybe the neurotoxins that the chemicals that they put in carpets or furniture. Um, do you have access to our air purifier to cleanse the air so it has cleaner oxygen? So that way we don't have that brain fog or having reactions to things in the environment or things like whether it's your air, maybe it's in in your water. So these toxins can be in in different chemicals, can be in different areas. And over time could definitely have an effect on our mental performance. But I was not just clean environment from potential uh, toxins or neurodisruptors, but also you make your bed today. I just cleaned my desk before this conversation and I have just your external world is a reflection of your internal world, right? Even on your screen, do you have like a million files open or do you have things organized? And once you organize your external world, you tend to organize your internal world. And AI is very powerful for that also. It's helped me to organize my, my next book that's coming out. We have three books coming out, one a year for the next three years. It helps to pull all of that and synthesize it. And I don't always agree with everything it outputs, but I could refine it and it creates a nice structure and baseline for better learning. Um, and then finally, seven, eight, nine, ten, seven is sleep. And sleep is so very important. I think it's one of the first principles for performance is getting a good night's sleep. Um, but if you're not sleeping well, how's your ability to analyze what AI produces? How's your ability to read all that content? If you're tired or you had a food coma because going back to diet, you had a lot of big processed meal and you're suffering from some kind of mental fatigue, how's your ability to remember things? And so getting a good night's sleep. And so we write a, have a whole chapter in Limitless on how to optimize your sleep, where we interviewed the top sleep experts globally. And little things like getting sunlight first thing in the morning to help reset your circadian rhythm, to help you sleep better at night, not having caffeine past 2 p.m. Because for some people who are sensitive with caffeine, it could stay in your system for eight to 10 hours. Some people could have espresso at night. I'm not one of those people. <laughs> or staying and, and having an alarm, as most people do, to wake up. I think it's more important to have an alarm to go to sleep, because especially on the weekends, because your brain loves consistency. It loves structure. It loves staying on schedule. Uh, And my two favorite ones are just lower temperature and lower light. Because think about hunter-gatherers before there was AI. We would know it was time to go to sleep because it would get darker and it would get colder. 
But if nowadays with modern conveniences, and again, that's a form of technology, and I love that I have a thermostat and I can regulate the temperature and the lighting at any given time, but also you want it cooler in your bedroom to help you sleep. Um, you want it darker in your bedroom to help you sleep. And even technology is really great, but if you're on your phone late at night, the light that comes from the, your devices fools your mind into thinking it's still daylight. So you don't create that melatonin to help you to be able to relax. So there's so many different factors. There's not just one thing that, that could affect your sleep. Uh, number eight is protect your brain. We do a lot of podcasts on uh, brain protection, on EMF fields, uh, electromagnetic fields, and Wi-Fi. because some people are more sensitive to, to that. Protecting your brain simply by wearing a helmet. Or are your kids wearing helmets when they're doing sports? And having had a traumatic brain injury and working with athletes that have um, TBIs or concussions, your brain is very resilient, but it's also very fragile. So protect your brain. And then finally, nine and 10, nine is new learnings which I'm preaching to the choir because anyone <laughs> reading this or listening to this, they are always learning. But um, again, and it also helps you live longer, by the way. There was a study done on longevity where this community of nuns were living 80, 90 and above. And research scientists wanted to find out what was the key. And they found, because they all had the same kind of lifestyle and half of it had to do with their emotional faith and their gratitude. But the other half, they were lifelong learners. They're reading every day, having deep conversations every day. And because of it, it added years to their life. But not only that, it added life to their years also as well. It was featured on the cover of Time Magazine. I don't know if people saw it, but it was a study called Aging with Grace, which I think is a beautiful title for a research study. And then finally, number 10, and this is a big thing that's actually, we have to be very cognizant of when it comes to AI and technology, is uh, stress management. We mentioned that the amount of information is doubling at dizzying speeds, and we feel like we're drowning in that information. So what are you doing to mitigate, besides upgrading your learning abilities, uh, reading faster, remembering, understanding better, focusing better, what are you doing to cope with stress? My go-to is I meditate every single day for 20 minutes, but I feel like it's so important in a world where we're so like strapped, our phone's always like within reaching distance. I feel like it's so important to disconnect to reconnect. Just like if a piece of technology isn't working, the, one of the first things we often do is unplug it, but sometimes, and then we plug it back in and it just works. But I feel like sometimes we have to unplug. I think a lot of people, whether it's ADD, attention deficit disorder, I think people suffer from a, a nature deficit disorder yeah. <laughs> and just getting back out into nature and getting grounded and walking barefoot and getting fresh air and, and sunlight is so important for our, our nervous system to thrive. And so how are we coping with stress, especially stress that comes from technology? So are you doing a dopamine detox or a digital detox on the weekends my family, we take 12 hours and we just don't go on our phones. And that's not for everybody, without a doubt. Um, but I feel remarkably refreshed and creative when I find I do have a little space. Are the kids also calmer? Yeah, children, it's interesting. And then this is anecdotal, but we also work with a lot of kids too. And I teach a lot in, in public schools and university levels and lecture, guest lecture there. The technology, people tend... I mean, you just look at any numbers, you look at the rise of certain conditions, whether it's ADD, whether it's hyperactivity, whether it's depression, anger, mental health issues is an epidemic. The fifth, I would say maybe if there was a fifth horseman of the mental apocalypse, besides digital deduction, digital dementia, digital deluge, I would say digital depression. 
kids growing up comparing themselves to the highlight trailer of all their friends that they post on social media. And the truth is, if you're green with envy, often it's the grass is greener where we water it. And often it's greener on Instagram because of the filter your friend is using, (laughs) or it's greener because there's a lot of artificial turf out there. And when we compare ourselves to other people and we're fueled by other people's opinions and other people's expectations, um, then we're going to run out of gas for sure. And and naturally we live in this comparison culture. And I would just say that everything in moderation, just like water is really good for you, but if you drink too much water, you drown. So everything doing it using common sense and a sense of accountability, I think is very important. Jim, thank you so much for your time. You always have amazing stories and I always love the information that you share. Congratulations on your new book. I really appreciate our conversations. I really truly believe that there's a, independent of technology, I believe there's a version of ourself that we haven't met yet. And I think the goal is we show up every single day for ourselves until we're introduced to that person. Learn more about Jim Quick at jimquick.com. And if you haven't already, subscribe to Beyond Unstoppable and visit thewolfbookhub.com for your exclusive sneak peek of The Wolf is at the Door. And stay tuned for next week's episode.